Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Good evening. Have you enjoyed the, the music here this uh, winter retreat? Enjoyed singing together and enjoyed uh, thinking much on the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope you have. I don't know if you caught some of what Brother Mike was just singing. Um, the whole point of that song is, you have all of my heart, only you. But you, what, what title was given to the Lord Jesus in that song? Only you Lord, the very title means that there is only you. He is Lord, therefore he is all there is. He is the one who owns all of my heart. Does he have all of your heart? Uh, if not, you need to. You need to give him your heart and uh, your life. I had, let me just tell you, it has been a, just a joy for me to teach and preach the Bible to you uh, in these last 45 hours or whatever it's been that we've been together, maybe a little more than that. It has been just a, a thrill for me. Uh, you, uh, you, can I say this? You've been an easy group to preach to, and, uh, uh, which is a blessing for me, and so uh, Please don't ruin that tonight. But uh, it's, been a, it's been a real blessing for me to do so. Uh, but um, uh, I, would, I would say this before we look at the scripture here tonight. Uh, you need to demonstrate gratitude and thankfulness to those who have ministered of themselves and given of themselves to you for this winter retreat. You have some youth leaders or youth pastors or adults or whoever they may be who gave of their time to drive you here. Some of you, that was a longer drive than others, but uh, they gave of their time to be with you. You know why? They love you. They want to see you uh, become more and more like the Lord Jesus. Uh, they, they have sacrificed for your sake. And uh, you need to show and express gratitude. I was a youth pastor for 13 years and we went to camp and uh, there were some times that I brought from Indiana my youth group here to camp. And, uh, but whenever we would go to camp or whenever we went to a winter retreat or whenever we went to uh, some event and we would finally return back home to the church parking lot, you just don't know how much it meant to have my young people just maybe as they're exiting the vehicle or whatever or standing there on the parking lot, say, hey, thanks, Pastor Andy. That's what they call me. Thanks, Pastor Andy. Really appreciate your driving or thanks for taking us. You just don't know how much, at least for me, that that meant. You ought to be grateful. 
um, those who have uh, spent time with you this, uh, these few hours, those who have served you, you're gonna have breakfast tomorrow, and uh, just, be, just be people of gratitude. Uh, the, the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that it is the will of God for you to give thanks. So be obedient and give thanks. And um, just have that spirit of gratitude. And, and uh, when you're, uh, also your, uh, your parents uh, are, uh, you know, whoever made it possible for you to be here, uh, when you get back home, express your gratitude to them. Um, show in some form or fashion. Maybe you're a verbal type person. Maybe you're a hugger. Maybe you're a write a note. But do something to say thank you. And also talk to them about what God's done in your heart over these few hours that we've been together. And those maybe in your church who for one reason or another couldn't be here or maybe chose not to be here, look, on this upcoming Lord's Day, I give you full permission to say, you missed it. You missed it. It rained all day Wednesday. You missed it. You, whatever you want to tell them. But uh, make a big deal about it and say you need to go next year or whenever we go you know, next. You don't want to miss. Make it big and make it great and, um, and uh, cause them to think, man, I should have gone. And then maybe even talk to a pastor or someone else in your church and say, hey, when they say, hey, how was the winter retreat? You say, oh, it was great. This is what we did. This is what we did. This was so funny. Oh, can I tell you one thing that God taught me? That just means a lot. To, uh, to others. And so just some, just some thoughts uh, from a former youth pastor who misses a lot of that. I'll be honest with you, but um, just want to pass that along. Okay, enough of that. Let's look at Ephesians 4 because this is going to be a long sermon tonight. <laughs> You're not sure if I mean that or not. Well, we'll find out. Okay, Ephesians 4. Hey, we're going to finish the chapter. And a, yes, yes, and a cry of gratitude rises to the rafters. All right, verse 31 and 32 here tonight. This is what we read. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I begin tonight with another verse from the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man, or in your case, if any woman, be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. You see, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, something profound happened to you. Something irreversible happened to you. Something vital and eternal happened to you. You have been reborn. You have been remade. You have been recreated. 
You are a new person in Christ. Now the old corruption should be put away and the new righteousness should be put on each and every day of your life. The new man has come to life. You have the life of God in your soul. This is Christianity. You will never be what you once were. You can never be again what you once were. You're an entirely new person with new understanding, new mind, new desires, and as we have been looking for what seems like forever, new behavior, new conduct. Let us once and for all be done with this understanding that I am a Christian because I behave a certain way. No, you behave a certain way because you are a Christian. Uh, something profound and vital happened to you. Somebody put it this way, and I like it, so I'm borrowing it, okay? Christianity is, first of all, a takeover of your life and then begins the makeover of your life. That's what Christianity is. In fact, a non-Christian should be able to look at your new conduct and say, I hardly recognize you. You are so different from what you used to be. Now, we've already considered what the gospel does with lying, what the gospel does with anger, what the gospel does with uh, theft, what the gospel does with speech. And now tonight we come with this. What does the gospel do with malice? Malice. And wouldn't you know it, there's a pattern. Have you seen this pattern? Oh, may you see the pattern in your sleep. May you see it every day of your life. What is the pattern? Negative, positive, Christian reason why. This is how you live the Christian life. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to live the Christian life, but it is a simple concept of how I live out what is true because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put off the corruption of the old, put on the righteousness of the new, as my mind is being renewed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. All right, so what's our pattern here? Well, what we see in verse 31 and 32 is we put off malice, we put on forgiveness. Christian reason why? So, or, or Christian reason why? Because God has forgiven you for Christ's sake. That's all there in verse 31 and 32. So let's look at this, okay? Number one, put off malice. Andy, that sounds frightening. Malice sounds menacing. That's exactly what it is. Malice is the leftover evil in your heart from the old man. It is that wicked desire to make other people hurt because it would make you feel better. This is what malice is. You don't like what she said. You don't like what he did. So you plot. You strategize. You make some phone calls. You try to dig up dirt. They need to get what's coming to them. Malice is like a malignant tumor that is hiding somewhere in your body just waiting for the exact moment to strike and inflict permanent damage. 
That's what malice is. Now, if you notice, malice is the last word of verse 31, but malice is the evil driving all of the other sins that are mentioned in verse 31. You can read verse 31 this way. Let all bitterness be put away from you with all of its malice. Let anger, wrath be put away from you with all of its malice. Let anger be put away from you with all of its malice. Let, uh, what's the next one? Let clamor, that's a fancy word for shouting. Uh, let clamor and shouting be put away from you with all of its malice. Let evil speaking, that is literally slander, let it be put away from you with all of its malice. All right, now then, these what is that? One, two, three, four, five. The five words mentioned earlier, do they sound familiar to you? Wrath, anger, bitterness, shouting, slander, evil speaking. Hasn't the apostle already been talking about all of these in verses 25 to 30? Yes, all five of them. What is he doing? Is he having a senior moment, as we say? Has he forgotten what he's already written about? Is this just two different authors writing? What, what is going on? Is he repeating just to hear himself talk? It feels like he's already presented and completed his argument. Haven't we looked at verse 25 through 30? He's done this four consecutive times. Here is our pattern. You put off the corruption. You put on the righteousness. Here's the Christian reason why. Four times. And then he ends with the ultimate Christian reason why you put off and put on uh, these uh, corruption and righteousness lest we break the heart of God. And it feels like he's like, end, done, I'm out. I have finished my argument. But for whatever reason, he circles around and he appears like he's reheating leftovers. Why? Is the Bible random? No. You've got to understand, there is a purpose for him coming back to what he's already talked about even after what we think of has completed his argument. Now, it would have been legitimate for us during this winter retreat to combine verse 31 with our exposition of 25 to 30. Sometimes it's necessary to do so. Maybe you're sitting here and saying, Andy, you should have done that. This has gone on far too long. I don't know what you're thinking. Sometimes it's legitimate to do that and necessary. In fact, that was my original intention he talks about it in both sections. So let's just combine. But here was my main problem. I couldn't get away from one thought. The Apostle Paul didn't combine them. He had them separate for some reason. Why? You know, ask questions of the Bible. And when you can't figure out the answer like I couldn't figure out the answer, go to people who have the answer and study. And so I began to read, and I've already mentioned his name earlier in one of our messages, but that Welsh pastor from the 20th century over in London, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his exposition of Ephesians, he gave me the key that unlocked it. Oh, thank you. And now it makes with you. Paul purposely set verse 31 after verse 30. Why? Because I believe he is moving from basic instruction to intense 
application. Let me put it to you this way. It's kind of like a good sermon. Here he is, he's preaching a message, and he's saying this to the church. Hey, Christian, you are the new man in Christ. Here is the corruption that the new man must put off. Here is the righteousness that the new man must put on. Here are all the Christian reasons why. Here is the ultimate Christian reason why. We don't want to break God's heart. All right, decision time. What are you going to do with what you have just heard at this winter retreat? That's what he's getting at. In verse 31, the apostle is about to get very personal very fast. In fact, as they say in the state of Wyoming, it's about to get real Western. What the apostle here is in effect doing, he is saying this, okay, let's get real. You've heard the instruction, so let's start naming names. Who has made you bitter? Who has made you angry? Who are you slandering? You are the new man in Christ. It is high time to face and own up to your own bitterness. You are the new person in Christ. It is high time to repent of all of your anger and all of your wrath. You are the new man or new woman in Christ. It is high time to corral your galloping and slanderous tongue. You are the new man in Christ. Don't just agree with what I'm teaching. Act on it. Be who you are. The malignant tumor of evil in your heart must go. There's no time to delay. It's going to kill you. Surgery is your only option. Kill malice or it will kill you. It will kill your testimony. It will kill your effectiveness. It will kill your power. It will kill your blessing. It will kill your joy. So let's get real bitterness oh you've nursed that grievance until it has consumed you in fact you go to bed at night with that grievance on your mind and you wake up in the morning and like the first or second or third thought in your head is that grievance and that person who has offended you or someone you love you can't even say their name or think their name hardly without spitting it out you don't want to forget what they've done to you they will never be sorry enough for you they will never be able to do anything to erase what they have done to you or to those you love you refuse to see any good in him even the good she does is tainted in your eyes there's always some sinister motive that that they're hiding from other people because you know you've seen it it's happened to you they did wrong he mistreated you she did wrong towards you yet you're the one who's miserable and you're the one who is sour. Can I help you? You are bitter. Yes, they have sinned against you. And now you are turning around and sinning against them. And your bitterness towards them will lead to wrath and anger. Anger is the volcano about to erupt. You're churning on the inside. Wrath is the volcano that did erupt. 
spewing lava, as it were, with no concern of where it lands, this wild rage, your bitter anger within you flares into wrath because your justice system has been violated. You know what has happened has been wrong to you. The offending party must be held to account. They're not being held to account as you know they should be held to account. And that's where the anger and the wrath continues to flow out of you. So you end up vomiting your heart straight out of your mouth in clamor and slander. It all goes together, folks. Clamor, that shouting, yelling, loud arguing. You don't talk calmly to make your point about this person who has grieved you. It's an intense conversation. In fact, you're willing to start the conversation at an 11 and you're ready to ratchet it up to a 15 if you need to. You're not interested in discussion. You're not interested in rational conversation. In fact, someone is trying to bring you down and tries to, uh, to, to get you to talk and, 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 and you, you, you almost yell at them, stop talking, just let me talk and tell you what is true. I don't need to hear this from you. You need to hear from me. And inevitably, that's a big word that means it's gonna happen. Inevitably, your shouting, your clamoring will lead to slandering. Name-calling, false accusation, exaggerated accusation, assigning sinister motives, sloppy with the facts of what really happened. And someone may even come along and try to help you. No, no, you know, I'm not sure that's exactly how it happened. And you shut them down and say, okay, I may not have all my facts right, but my little mess up with the facts is nothing compared with the evil that they have done. See, yeah, I may have messed up, but it's not like them. And that is the point. You need to understand the monster he is. You need to understand the tramp she is. You need to understand the snake they are. He needs to pay. She needs to hurt. Justice must be served the way I know it needs to be served. I hope they hurt as much as they have hurt me. I hope they lose as much as I have lost because of them. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all of its malice I do not doubt that they have done wrong to you I do not doubt that your justice system has been violated, but may I remind you, you have a flawed justice system, but there is a God in heaven who has a perfect justice system, and his perfect justice system has been violated when someone has sinned against you. And he said, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay I will do right. But some of us, let's be perfectly honest, you don't trust God that he will do right by the person who's done you wrong. You have a problem not with them, you have a problem with God. He is going to take care of it. He will do right. Now, 
I do want to make one statement here that I don't want to be misunderstood, and I think this needs to be said, particularly in the day and age in which we live. Sometimes when the, 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 the um, grievance or the sin done against you is of a criminal nature, and if there has been some criminal activity against you or someone you love, then it needs to be reported. God has given us a justice system in the United States of America. Oh, it's not perfect, but it is there given us by God for the punishment of evildoers. Christianity does not sweep sin under the rug. And if there's been criminal behavior, it needs to be reported. But don't miss the overall picture of what the apostle is getting at. Don't you see the malice in your heart? Are you so blinded by their sin against you that you do not see the sin in your own heart? Put it off by whatever means necessary. Now, how do you do that? With the positive. Put on forgiveness. That's the second part. All right, let's read verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. <laughs> Few subjects raise the emotions more quickly than when someone starts talking about forgiveness. But yet perhaps you are never more like God than when you forgive the undeserving. You see, forgiveness flows out of a kind and tender heart. That's what it says here. It flows out of a kind and tender heart. Have you ever heard this statement before? Would you please forgive me out of the kindness of your heart? To be kind is to be benevolent. To be kind, don't miss this, to be kind is an active desire to help him, to do good by her. Now, how does this look? What does this look like? I'm gonna give you two scenarios here, okay? Here's the first one. He comes to you and he says, I have done you wrong. Could you ever find it in your heart to forgive me? Here's a man in need of your forgiveness. You are the new man in Christ. You want to help him. You want him to experience good. And out of the kindness of your heart, you release him. You forgive him. Maybe all over again, but you forgive him. You do not hold his sin against you against him. Out of the kindness of your heart, I want you to experience good. Of course I'll forgive you. Okay? That's one scenario. Here's another one. She comes to you. She, I'm, I'm sorry, she does not come to you. She has wounded you, but unlike the first one, she has no desire to make it right with you. Here is a woman who has violated the justice system of God. You are the new man in Christ. You want to help her. You want her to experience good. So out of the kindness of your heart, don't miss this, you leave her with God. You don't have an ax to grind with her. You don't have a hatchet you need to bury with her. You have turned her and her offense over to the perfect judge. And if she ever one day comes to you and says, look, I did you wrong years ago. 
could you forgive me? Your immediate response is, of course I forgive you. I turned you over to God years ago. I got it off my heart long ago. I'll be happy to forgive you. You say, I could never do that. I disagree. More importantly, the apostle representing Jesus Christ disagrees. The old man you used to be could never forgive like this. Well, the new man you are does forgive like this because your heart is tender towards that person. You're no longer the old man. Remember verse 19? Who was past feeling. No more. You're now full of feeling for them. Your heart is touched with the feeling of his infirmity. You can actually empathize. You can feel his pain or her pain because you know what it's like to be him. He or she, when they hurt you, were the victim of the deception of their own heart. They were the victim of Satan's deception. They believed the deceitful lusts lie. You've been there before because you've done it too. Now, you may have hurt other people in different ways than what this person has done to you, but you know what it's like to be deceived by Satan and by the deceitful lusts. Your heart is touched with his infirmity. Your heart breaks for him. He was duped by the lust of deceit, and a lot of that is still in you. Yes, he has offended you, but you see him with different eyes now. You see him with tender eyes and understanding eyes. And so you are eager to extend forgiveness to him. Now, I'd like to give a little contrast here because again and again, we've tried to, to show the difference between the world's morality and Christian morality, Christianity. Let's use this basic scenario here. I don't have anything in, in mind. I'm just a general description. When someone has been hurt and victimized, there are a lot of people in this world, unsaved, who rush to the person who's been hurt, rush to the person who's been victimized, and they do like this circle the wagons approach, you know? We come on around them and say, oh, how we're gonna be loving to you, we're gonna protect you, we're going to give you a voice, we're gonna get all the help you need because we love you and we are loving. And in fact, then many people go around without Christ who treat people like this and they pat themselves on the back and say, look how loving we are. Look how, how good we are. In fact, we're more Christian than some of you Christians. And in some way, we can learn from that mentality. We do need to protect those who have been hurt. We do need to rush to their aid. We do need to love and protect and help. But these people who say, look how loving we are, look how we protect and love the victim. Question, what did they do to the one who did the wrong? Oh, ho, ho. you are a piece of scum. You are a monster. I can't believe I ever was your friend. I will never be able to associate with you ever again. In fact, no I'm going to unfriend you from everything that I possibly have. You are going to pay. You are going to lose your job. You are going to go to jail. You are going to go to prison. You are going to lose your good name. You are going to lose everything. And when you are down, we're going to kick and stomp on you and you will pay. Aren't we loving? 
Now what does the Christian do? What is Christianity? The Christian does this. Oh, you have been hurt. You have been victimized. You have been, uh, you have been attacked in some form or fashion. We love you. We're going to protect you. We're going to help give you a voice. We're going to seek justice for you. This is not right. How can we help and love you? But then the Christian turns and looks at the person who has done wrong and says, you have done wrong. You have violated God's justice system. And in the case of criminal behavior, there is going to be prosecution. We do need to get this taken care of. And there are going to be consequences that happen. But my heart breaks for you because you too have been duped by sin. Oh, I may not have done exactly what you've done and may I never do what you have done, but I have been duped by Satan and sin. My heart breaks for you. Yes, we're gonna need to report this in in, in certain cases. We're gonna need to to, to deal with this. We're not gonna sweep it under the rug. There are gonna be some probably harsh, difficult consequences, but we're not gonna kick you to the side. We're gonna love you, we're gonna seek to give you help and ultimately you need the cross if they're unsaved. You need the power of the gospel. How can we, with safeguards, how can we help you? That's Christianity. Their morality is not our morality. Now, so the negative is put off malice. Positive is put on forgiveness But again, what makes this Christian? The Christian reason why? Because God has forgiven you for Christ's sake. Notice here in verse 32, he says, even as God. I say again, you are perhaps never more like God than when you forgive the undeserving. When you forgive those who do not deserve your forgiveness, you become more and more like God. Is forgiveness in the nature of God? Has anybody deserved forgiveness that God has forgiven? No. If you think you deserve forgiveness, you don't understand the depravity of your heart. You don't understand what grace is. It says, even as God has forgiven you. The apostle here is speaking to those who have already been forgiven by God. He's speaking to the new man. You have experienced the joy of being forgiven by God. You know what it is for God not to hold your sin against you. You know the joy of being released by God for your sin. That unpayable debt of sin against God has been forgiven. You are released. You're this flood of gratitude. Now he didn't sweep sin under the rug. What did he do with your sin? He punished his son for your sin. See, Jesus, or God does not just do away with sin. He deals with it, but he dealt with Jesus in your place. This is the glory of the gospel. But I ask you again, why has God forgiven you? Because you deserved it? No, quite the opposite. He has forgiven you. Don't miss this. Because Jesus Christ deserves it. He went to a cross so you could be forgiven. That's why he says, even as God for the sake of Jesus Christ 
has forgiven you. God owes you nothing, young man. Young lady, he does not owe you forgiveness. He does not owe you mercy. He does not owe you heaven or favor or love or kindness or hope. It is only and completely by the sheer grace of God. He would not spare his own son for you. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus was punished for your grievance against him for your crime against him, for your sin against him. He was punished as though he were the liar. He was punished as though he were the thief. He was punished as though he were the vengeful one. He was punished as though he were the corrupt speech, uh, the one guilty of corrupt speech. He was punished as though he were the proud one, as though he were the pornographer, as though he were the murderer, as though he were the adulterer. He was punished as though he were the greedy. He was punished as though he were you, as though he were me. He died and three days later he came back to life by the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that resides in you. Though you were guilty as sin, foul, dirty, corrupt, and unworthy, God reached down when he sees your faith and he forgives you, not because you deserved it, but because Jesus Christ is worthy of it. So I ask you, you who say, I've been freely forgiven by God's grace. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah, I ask you, can you not forgive those who have sinned against you? No, they don't deserve it. But you're not forgiving them for their sake. You are forgiving them for Christ's sake. This is Christianity. This is new life in Christ. Every year when I was youth pastor, I took teenagers and most summers also juniors to camp. Many years ago, I took juniors to camp. And, uh, that's a blessing. <laughs> one night, I wasn't the preacher, I was just you know, one of the, the adult sponsors. There was about 250 juniors there uh, that week at camp. One night, the preacher was up there and he was preaching. His text was Ephesians 4.32. By the way, that is a great verse. You should study it sometime. Ephesians 4.32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Some of you are going, oh, I, I see what you did. Yeah, okay, yeah, we did that tonight. Yeah, okay, now that we're together. He preached Ephesians 4.32. Did an excellent job. When he got to the end, he came to the time of, it was a night service, came to the time of the invitation, a response time. And I'm in the back, 250 kids. <laughs> and, the, and the man said this, you know what kids, we're gonna do something different tonight. We're gonna have the piano playing. But instead of us having our heads bowed, some of you know that you have not been kind and forgiving to one another. You have rather been full of bitterness and anger and, and uh, slander and so forth to one another. Some of you even here in this room towards one another or to people back home or whatever. He said, really, the real response is that you need to get right with God and with that person. So when the piano plays, if there's someone in this room you need to get right with, then I'm gonna ask you to do it at that time. Now, just real brief, I'm not going to do that tonight. <sighs> You're welcome. 
But I sat in the back and I thought, naive, boy, this guy, this is gonna blow up in his face. Boy, was I wrong. My arrogance. He prayed and he said, all right, piano's playing. You need to get right with someone, get right with God, get right with someone, go right now. I'm sitting in the back and I saw kids pop up all over and they start looking for somebody in the <laughs> in the in, in the crowd i saw young people you know a little kid from this side get up walk all the way over to this side sit down with someone I'm, i've been wrong you know they're getting right i saw a boy in the second row he got up and he was looking in the back and he saw someone in the back and he got up and went i saw uh kids getting up and going to the adults who brought them i saw them going crisscrossing and i was just in awe of this I could and my favorite were two girls from my church now they're both out of college now so this was a, a while ago they were juniors back then you know don't tell them I'm telling you this story but uh, they were sitting right next to one another the whole service and I'm watching them and then all of a sudden they turn simultaneously and they begin to cry I'm so sorry and they, and I thought, oh my goodness, you've been sitting next to one another in a church service and you're mad at one another. You haven't been right with one another. Oh, juniors, they're great. Now, as I said, I'm not going to make that happen tonight. But I do know this. There are people in here that you need to get right with. There are people back home you need to talk with maybe people who brought you maybe people in your family school work church adult kid teenager whatever it may be you have an opportunity in fact we all have an opportunity right now to consider what we have heard and to deal with it before God I have done my best, such as it is, over these last several hours to go through Ephesians, the last part of Ephesians 4, trying to get to this one point. You've heard all the teaching. You have understood it, I think, quite well. It's decision time. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking, your lying, your hypocrisy, your thievery? What are you going to do? Get right with God. Repent. Seek his grace. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. There is no sin, no matter how long you've participated in it, beyond the blood of Christ. And may I say this, the sin done against you is also not beyond the blood of Jesus Christ.
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.